She's the push she brought from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog is nice. She's the push she brought from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, cause everybody needs a little push. From the push she brought from the Bronx, New York. Welcome, Transformation Talk Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the pushy broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, where we talk about the tough topics that have to do with recovery, substance misuse, process addictions, and how to get well and to live and be happy in recovery. I am so pleased to be here today to talk about a topic that is extremely timely and is in the news almost on a regular basis. So let's start by telling you exactly what this is and why it is so poignant for us to be here today to talk about it. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, Over 100,000 people in the United States die of drug overdoses and drug poisonings. A staggering 87% of those deaths involve synthetic opioids like fentanyl. Fentanyl is the word on everybody's lips when it comes to recent drug overdoses and drug deaths. That's why this program is so important today. This is a crisis. Fentanyl, how do we fight it? So in order to have some answers here, I brought in an expert, Dr. Ming Wang from Karen Treatment Centers. I'd like to first say that Dr. Wang is an Associate Medical Director at at, uh, Karen Treatment Centers. He oversees the detox and chronic pain programs and Karen's nursing staff. He also serves as medical director for the Grandview and Older Adult Programs. He is a faculty member of the Karen Redding Pennsylvania Hospital Addiction Medicine Fellowship. He also teaches the local and regional residents and medical students that rotate at Karen Treatment Centers. Dr. Wang started with Karen as an addiction medicine fellow in 2013 and then was hired as an addiction medicine physician in March of 2014. And finally, and certainly not least, he is a diplomat of the American Board of Addiction Medicine, the American Board of Anesthesiology, and the American Board of Preventative Medicine, Addiction Medicine Specialty. He is a fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine and the Pennsylvania Society of Addiction Medicine as well. Dr. Wang is a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at Penn State College of Medicine. Recovery Recharged and the Pushy Broad from the Bronx is delighted to welcome Dr. Ming Wang. Good morning, doctor. How are you? Good morning, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm I'm, uh, so happy to be here to talk about this really a very profound topic today. It absolutely is. So I want everybody to listen carefully because we're going to talk about the basics. We're also going to talk about what to look for, what this is all about, and what new and hopefully hopeful treatment is down the road and coming in terms of this 
powerful drug. So, Doc, let's start from the beginning. To those of us that don't know, including myself, because I'm learning as we go here, what is fentanyl? The fentanyl, officially, uh, as designated by the DEA, is a Schedule II opioid. And what it is, is a synthetic opioid. That means it's, a, it's created uh, synthetically in a laboratory rather than derived from natural sources such as opium. Uh, this uh, fentanyl was created in 1959 by a man named Paul Jansen. And uh, it has uh, seen many, many uses, mostly in a hospital setting and in the operating room setting. But as many people are aware, more uh, in, the, in the past many years, we have seen fentanyl also derived in laboratories show up on our streets uh, being abused and causing death. I see. So... It is a Schedule II narcotic under the United States Controlled Substances Act of 1970. And it's also, I mean, do people say, I mean, is it true that it's more potent than the other opioids and 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine? Would you say that was the case? That, that, that is correct. And how the DEA scheduled their controlled substances is that Schedule II would be the most addictive. And that's where fentanyl sits. And fentanyl is is 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. However, Alan, let me tell you this. There are many derivatives of morphine. They're called fentanyl analogs, and uh, such as uh, uh, remifentanyl, alfentanyl, sufentanyl, and carfentanyl that showed up a number of years ago uh, that people describe as an elephant tranquilizer, right? A little bit will kill you. And all these uh, fentanyl analogs have even greater potency than fentanyl itself. Sometimes they're a thousand or 10,000 times more potent than morphine. That's almost, those figures are almost staggering, doctor. Absolutely staggering. There are two types of fentanyl as we know them. One is pharmaceutical and the other is illicitly manufactured. Can you address both of those? Yes, and they are very different, Alan. Uh, the um, the legitimate uh, hospital quality fentanyl produced by um, uh, pharmaceutical companies in this country, uh, they have certain properties. Okay, that's very very predictable, and and many of us physicians are very familiar with this particular fentanyl. However, uh, the the illicit fentanyl produced on the streets. What the manufacturer, all they need to do is modify a certain side chain of the primary molecule. Then it becomes a completely different chemical. Still call it fentanyl, but the properties are uh, dramatically different, such as the half-life. The half-life of what we're seeing on the streets today are much more prolonged than the hospital uh, quality fentanyl. And that makes a huge difference uh, in addiction and how to treat uh, and manage withdrawal from the street fentanyl. So what you're saying is that the illicitly manufactured fentanyl lasts a longer time? Is that what you're saying to us? That's our experience and not just our experience at Care and Treatment Center, but across the uh, country, um, many addiction physicians are 
are, are uh, appreciating this particular characteristic. And um, on top of that, not only the prolonged half-lives that makes withdrawal management rather challenging, uh, but also the adulterant that's put into the the street fentanyl these days, such as xylazine, that causes additional complications. That's very challenging in a detox setting. So other drugs are also added to fentanyl to what? It, it increase the potency and then maybe it's also um, a way of making the drugs tr- cheaper, more powerful and more addictive and more dangerous at the same time? Yes, all those are correct. And uh, oh one, uh, one of the strategies of illicit manufacturing of drugs is to add adulterant so that uh, they don't, uh, the manufacturer doesn't have to s- spend as much money and uh, the, the, uh, the bottom line is greater, right? And, yes. uh, but also to enhance the effect of the fentanyl. For example, xylazine showed up uh, a few years ago. Uh, uh, as an enhancement product uh, to fentanyl that's causing a lot of problems. Oh, my goodness. All right. So let's go back to some things because let's talk about the pharmaceutical fentanyl. Why do people who who are prescribed fentanyl take fentanyl? What's the reason for it? The legitimate reason for taking a pharmaceutical gray fentanyl is uh, only a few things. Uh, as an adjunct to general anesthesia uh, in the operating room for post-op acute pain management. And for some people, uh, they are prescribed fentanyl products, such as fentanyl patches and uh, 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 also uh, buccal fentanyl to, uh, for chronic pain management. And also for people who might have cancer-related pain, they may be put on fentanyl products for pain management. Those are few of the uh, few of the legitimate reasons that fentanyl should be prescribed. I see. Well, I had personal experience with fentanyl and it was only right after hip replacement surgery, right after I was coming out of anesthesia and the pain started to to kick in for a very short period of time. Only once it was prescribed to me to help me through the pain. And that was it. And that was in a hospital setting and it stayed in the hospital and didn't leave with me. Is it common for somebody to be prescribed fentanyl pills to go home with for pain? Is that a possibility? Typically not from a hospital. Uh, Like you said, Ellen, fentanyl is typically used for immediate post-op pain management. And after the person stabilizes and ready to go home, usually they're uh, converted to another oral opioid, such as uh, oxycodone, Percocet, hydrocodone, uh, things of that nature for short duration. (laughs) For a very short duration, of course. Yes. Okay. And I have seen fentanyl patches with people for advanced stage cancer. I've seen that as well. That's right. That's right. And and again, in a controlled environment. So let's talk about why this is so dangerous. What is the effect of fentanyl on the body, you know, compared to other opioids? For, for all opioids, whether there's fentanyl or Percocet or hydrocodone, uh, all uh, opioids, and we're talking about a class of opioids that we call full agonist opioids, okay? Those are, these are true opioids. 
they act on a certain receptors in our brain called the mu receptor. And these receptors modulate certain human function, such as breathing, right? <laughs> such as sedation. And uh, opioids act on these receptors and activate these subunits. And so depending on the potency of the opioids that's being used, whether it's hydrocodone, morphine, oxycodone, or fentanyl, uh, the, the effect uh, on these receptors would be based on their potency. And the reason why fentanyl is especially dangerous uh, because it's so potent, potent in activating these mu receptors, therefore, uh, the, the initial trigger that might lead to overdose and death would be respiratory depression, okay? And uh, with use of fentanyl, individuals are more likely to experience respiratory depression. They stop breathing, which leads to death. They never wake up from it. So so when somebody is, is taking it illicitly to relieve pain, what other pleasant feelings does fentanyl have, which is why people are attracted to it? What happens? What makes it so attractive? The attractiveness of something like fentanyl comes long before that respiratory depression and death. Okay, uh, initially the person uh, feels the, the euphoria, the euphoria which may consist of that sense of well-being, that relaxation, that somewhat of a sedated effect, and it, it also because it does act on our brain. Uh, it also acts sort of disconnect our feelings from those uh, unpleasant experiences that we might uh, want to shut ourselves off from, right? Uh, the, the traumatic feelings, the depression, the anxiety. Uh, fentanyl uh, is one of those products that would do that. And also it's mood lifting, Opioids, not only are they sedating, that causes respiratory depression, but for many individuals, taking these sedating medication is actually mood lifting. So it's kind of like taking an antidepressant that works very quickly. I see. And it's very similar to heroin and oxycodone in that it gives you that sense of, like you said, euphoria, pain relief, um, a sense of I can escape into this. Right. But then the negative stuff comes along, like the confusion and the drowsiness and the dizziness. I've heard many people that suffer nausea and vomiting and um and uh, pu uh, pupillary constriction, and and as you said, respiratory depression. For so it's 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 a a little bit of 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 good and a whole lot of bad, right? <laughs> that, that's right. Taking any opioids potentially comes with side effects. You know, like you mentioned, Ellen, uh, nausea, constipation, uh, things like that. However. Uh, because how opioids act on our central brain, an area of our brain called the mesolimbic system, which is uh, generates these uh, euphoric feelings, this uh, encodes the information of how good it feels, right? Uh, that part of our brain supersedes uh, the part of our brain that remembers how uh, how we get nauseated from opioids or or how dysphoric we might feel after a while. So the euphoric feeling certainly dominates uh, in that mesolimbic area. 
So that would be the addiction centers of our brains. I that's would correct. Yeah, that's where I'm <laughs> going with this. That that's where addiction sits, and that's where the encoding of the rewards and pleasures sits. Yes. So let's talk just a little bit about how bad this opioid epidemic, uh, uh, epidemic and death from fentanyl actually are. All right. Let me just give us some stats because they're staggering. According to the Centers for D Disease Control, the CDC, 107,375 people in the United States died of drug overdoses and drug poisonings in the 12-month period ending in January of 2022, over 100,000 deaths, okay? It's unbelievable. A staggering 67% of those deaths involved synthetic opioids like fentanyl. Some of these deaths were attributed to fentanyl mixed with other drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, and heroin, and many users were unaware that they were actually taking fentanyl. Can we talk about that a little bit? How does that happen on the street? What happens? The fentanyl, because it is a synthetic opioid produced in laboratory by, by mixing a bunch of chemicals together. Uh, is fairly cheap to manufacture versus <clears throat> versus uh, opiates, which are uh, plant derived from opium. That is more expensive to manufacture because you gotta you gotta cultivate the plant, you gotta process it, and so it's very costly. With any synthetic uh, drugs that's produced uh, in laboratories, it's fairly cheap to manufacture, and so because of that. Uh, the uh, illicit manufacturers of other products, let's say cocaine. Cocaine is very expensive to to uh, cultivate, produce, and and distribute, and uh, because it comes from the coca plant. And therefore, uh, what illicit manufacturers do, they'll mix fentanyl into cocaine because fentanyl is so much cheaper to make. And therefore, they save money, and then uh, again raises the bottom line. So those. Uh, individuals whose primary drug of choice might be cocaine, they obtain cocaine, not being aware that there's fentanyl mixed into it. Therefore, they use their cocaine as usual and then overdose on cocaine. Uh, I'm overdose on the okay. fentanyl that's in the cocaine. I see. That's really interesting. Okay. So, I don't know what fentanyl looks like. I have no idea whether or not it would recognize it. How do you know if the substance is fentanyl and, and what does it look like? How do people, how would a parent know if a child has access to it? Just tell us a little bit about that. It would be uh, in, in the general community, it would be very difficult to recognize whether a liquid substance or powdery substance or a pill is fentanyl or not. And uh, the illicit manufacturers will press the fentanyl into pills that might look like a Percocet, okay, or mix it in cocaine that looks just like cocaine that person always have purchased. And so it's very difficult. However, the response from use of that drug uh, could it could be the very initial indication that this is this is not what they think it is. This might be fentanyl, and uh, from uh, uh, the immediate reaction that the uh, users get, uh, e immediate uh, sedation, immediate respiratory profession, difficult to arouse once they kind of nod off. Those are all should be 
immediate indication that yes, this is fentanyl. Let's treat it as fentanyl because that is front and center issue. Ah, okay. Okay. So are there such a thing as fentanyl test strips? What is that? Uh, there are products like that out in the community, but uh, in in the practical sense, uh, uh, families and friends may not be able to procure those now. In in uh, a facility such as ours at Care and Treatment Center, we we can test for fentanyl, and so can hospital settings, acute settings. But in the general community, that may be very difficult to do. I see. It's too bad that we can't find some kind of testing so that people can regulate it at home, or at least if there is a danger or they're unsure, test for it before they're ingesting, obviously. So what you're go ahead, doctor. And for the general community and families and loved ones uh, who has a, uh, who has a loved one who's using illicit opioids, uh, the, the, the best strategy to hopefully prevent an overdose in the house might be just to have uh, nasal Narcan available and know how to use it because Narcan now could be obtained free at any pharmacy. Just add, go up and ask the pharmacist for Narcan and, and they will give it to you. As many times as you ask? They'll just That's give correct. It. That's correct. That's fantastic. We tested that, Ellen. I went to uh, a local pharmacy I, I use personally, and I asked a pharmacist, and yes, you could have one, you could have two. <laughs> Some are more generous than others. That's great. So even you were able to obtain a doctor, no problem. So this yeah. is the scary thing. And, and you know, I am a recovery coach and I work with clients that are constantly uh, worried, actually, that the drugs that they are taking may be laced with fentanyl. And by the way, this is a wonderful discussion with Dr. Wang of Karen Treatment Centers. We're talking about fentanyl and and everything that has to do with how to fight it and how to recognize it. If you have questions about that today and you'd like to call in and ask Dr. Wang something directly, you can do that today on our program at 800-930-2819. That's 800-930-2819. 2819 and the doctor will answer your questions directly. So if you are using and you have questions, okay, no judgment here, or you're a parent and you're concerned about your child, please call in and our producers will take your questions and we'll direct them to Dr. Wang. Okay. So that's why it's so dangerous, everybody. What doc the doctor is saying is that fentanyl has been mixed in with the drugs that you're currently taking, like Percocet or Oxycontin or Oxycodone. So realize that what you are getting on the street is more dangerous than ever. Correct, Doc? That is correct. It's unpredictable at best. Unpredictable at best. Okay. All right. So so let's just talk about one more topic before we go to break. So if we can't smell it or taste it or know exactly what it is, is there something, I mean, does fentanyl typically look like something? I mean, is it powder? Is it liquid? Is it both? What What is it? It could be produced in many forms. The traditional pharmaceutical grade of fentanyl used in the hospitals and operating room is typically a clear liquid and because we inject it into patients. Uh, the illicitly produced fentanyl could be liquid. It could be powder. 
and and typically it's in the powder form. That's it's in the powder form or it's pressed into a pill. That's probably the most common way of seeing uh, street fentanyl. And how long does it live in our bloodstream? Uh, fentanyl has a variable half-life. And uh, again, we're talking about pharmaceutical grade versus illicitly manufactured uh, fentanyl. And so, uh, for example, uh, for pharmaceutical grade fentanyl that we inject intravenously, uh, usually the elimination half-life is about, uh, about one hour, okay, about one hour. And the uh, effect is very short. With the illicitly produced fentanyl, the chemical structure is not exactly the same as hospital-grade fentanyl. Uh, depending on route of administration, whether it's nasal, whether it's oral or it's intravenous, uh, the onset could be very quick. However, the half-life could be very prolonged, sometimes up to 16 hours. Well, that's very scary. Unbelievable. Is so so whether it's pharmaceutical, well, if it's pharmaceutical or illicit, it's certainly going to show up in the blood work, right? And it's going to show up in the urine test, and it's also going to show up in the hair follicles as well, right? You're going to be able to detect it. That's correct. Yeah, have to uh, to detect fentanyl in a drug screen, whether it's urine, whether it's blood or hair toxicology, uh, that has to be indicated because the typical 17 panel uh, toxicology or Department of Transportation toxicology typically does not test for fentanyl. That has to be specially uh, uh, indicated on any panel. And that's what we do here at Karen. Uh, now, uh, in the last several years, we have routinely uh, added fentanyl to our screen. Because now there, it's it's happening so frequently. And I guess the patients that come in are so frequent that you have to add it to the panels as well. Is it? Do you know if it's added to the panels of home drug tests as well at this point? But there are home test kits available. And I've just recently read about that. I, I'm not sure, Ellen, if it's readily available uh, across the country. And so uh, any family members and friends who wants to test their loved ones for fentanyl, there are products out there right now that are strips. Uh, otherwise, um, could approach the, uh, the family physician, the primary care provider to ask for testing. Thank you very much. And we're going to stop right there and we're going to come back and talk specifically about fentanyl addiction and more about how this drug is invading all of us and how we treat it. So come back to us in a few seconds. We'll be right back. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Do you have long-term depression or anxiety? With the right tools, you can fully recover from the long-term effects of childhood trauma. Kimberly Beekman at Inner Alignment offers level one inner healing, coach certification, and soul retrieval healer certification. With this revolutionary neuroscience approach, you can experience profound shifts in only two months. To learn more about these offers and programs, visit KimberlyBeekman.com. Hi everyone, Dr. Pat here, host of The Dr. Pat Show. For about 20 years, you've heard me talk about silver and the importance of silver. I've been looking 
upside down and sideways to find silver that was the highest quality. And I think I found it. No, actually, I know I found it. I discovered this in my own healing journey, and that's what we used for me. Amia Life has the most advanced silver available today. All things that harm our health is what it takes care of. Now, I thought I'd seen it all because I've been on this journey for 20 years with silver, but I've not quite found anything like Amia Life. The folks and our friends at Amia Life have put together a special discount for your first purchase of 20% off. Amiolife.com. A-M-E-O life.com. Remember to give them a call. Tell them Dr. Pat sent you at 1-800-422-8148. I've already sent it to my naturopath. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Welcome back, Transformation Talk Network listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the pushy broad from the Bronx. This is my show, Recovery Recharged. I am here with Dr. Ming Wang from Karen Treatment Centers which is a number one addiction treatment provider in the United States. That's C-A-R-O-N, Karen Treatment Centers. And we are talking about fentanyl and the fentanyl crisis and how we fight it. If you have a question that you would like to ask the doctor, please call in today to the show. That's live, 800 930 2819 and the doctor will answer your question live. So, Doc, you work for Karen Treatment Centers, which is a residential addiction treatment center provider, and you see a lot of fentanyl cases. Let's talk about fentanyl as something that is extremely addictive. Tell us about the patients that you see. So <clears throat> So with uh, with uh, especially the fentanyl users, we have been seeing more and more individuals come to our facility here in Pennsylvania over the last several years. Okay, so point of interest, Alan, is that um, uh, most likely the reason within the last several years we're seeing this escalation in the illicit fentanyl use is that if you remember uh, around 2017. Uh, the U.S. Uh, government started to crack down on uh, prescribing of opioids. And many physicians uh, after that began uh, to just kind of dial back on prescribing opioids, uh, the legitimate opioids such as oxycodone, hydrocodone, and such. 
And with that, the illicit manufacturers found an opportunity to ramp up their illicit opioid production. And here we have fentanyl, uh, very cheap to produce, mix a bunch of pig chemicals together. And probably the most difficult part, my guess, is uh, how to ship them into the US. And uh, so that's when we started to see this uptick in uh, fentanyl cases. And that presents a challenge uh, to those individuals who seek help with their fentanyl use and come to a facility like ours. Uh, the withdrawal management uh, would be very challenging. So what happened was, I mean, all of those, all of those documentaries and all of the news items on um, the Oxycontin and the um, Percocets and all of that influx. So when the government cracked down on that, illicit manufacturers had to find a way to produce something else and produce it more cheaply, right? And then raise the price of everything out on the street because it became more difficult to get. I get it. I get it. So this is what you're seeing on a regular basis. How often does it come into care and treatment centers? How often are you treating this? Is it with the regular pattern of people that come in? Yeah, we, we are seeing uh, fentanyl users come into our facility uh, on a daily basis. And uh, any any given day, uh, a group of uh, uh, patients come into our uh, facility and at least one, if not more, are using opioids uh, with fentanyl mixed into it. And uh, so our, our withdrawal management strategy uh, over the past several years had to be uh, have to be modified, uh, being mindful of the characteristic of the illicitly produced fentanyl. And I think that maybe it's important to tell our listeners that the fentanyl users that come to you come from come at all different ages, from all different walks of life and from different economic levels. Discuss that a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's uh, uh, fentanyl, illicit fentanyl use uh, is not unique to just any one population. Uh, young people, uh, as young as uh, teenagers, if they have the resource, financial resources and able to purchase uh, illicit opioids off the streets, they'll use that, uh, young adults and adults. But we're mostly seeing uh, adults using uh, illicit fentanyl. Uh, because they have the resources to purchase these products. Uh, also, our older adult population here on campus, uh, I have not seen uh, uh, that population use illicit opioids uh, as much. Very rare in that population. I see. So not the older adult population, which is what, 55 and over? Something like, is that your age cutoff? For older yeah, adults, sixty-five years and uh, oh, it's uh, sixty-five years. Okay, sixty-five years, but below that, and and middle adult range, people with means that can produce that that can purchase um, opioids. So, would you find that most of the time they don't realize that they're taking fentanyl, which is what the problem is? Uh, our experience here, Karen, is that people who come in uh, using fentanyl, they know they're using fentanyl. They know. They know they're using fentanyl. And once in a while, we do see individuals that come in 
and that come up positive for fentanyl on their drug screen and uh, uh, was not aware they were using fentanyl. Uh, but now we are seeing people who knowingly use fentanyl because the potency of that drug, which is what they're seeking, uh, the, the euphoria, and uh, which is what they want. I see. So before they come to you and they're experiencing emergency situations, can you tell us what the signs are so that if people around them and parents are trying to help a loved one or, or a family member is trying to help a loved one, what are the signs of a fentanyl overdose? Probably the most obvious sign, Ellen, in, in the home situation or work situation is that if families and friends and coworkers notice that the individual is uh, falling asleep a lot, just nodding off, right? And uh, sometimes difficult to arouse, that should immediately raise suspicion that this person is on opioids and uh, possibly fentanyl. And so, uh, sleeping, falling asleep a lot, that would be the primary indication. And that is really a number one, absolutely um, evident thing that people can see, right? I mean, you can't miss that. So that's that's really something to look out for. And also um, some other things, small constricted pinpoint pupils, like you said, unresponsive and falling asleep or losing consciousness, slow or weak, or of course not breathing, choking or gurgling sounds, a limp body, cold or clammy skin, or discolored skin is also, according to um, the CDC, signs of an overdose. So what should they do if they see someone poisoned from fentanyl? What should they do? Uh, any family members or friends who come across an individual displaying these symptoms should immediately call 911 and uh, initiate CPR. Uh, if, and if they have Narcan, uh, definitely, uh, definitely use it uh, while waiting for the ambulance to arrive. Right. So we don't have to have somebody lose consciousness or stop breathing before they lose Narcan, correct? No. (laughs) If they're starting to be uh, starting to become very sedated and somewhat difficult to arouse, but still breathing, uh, I I would suggest that they use Narcan immediately before you progress any further, which would be more difficult to resuscitate once they uh, get further down the road. I understand. All right. So now let's let's spend the rest of the time talking about how Karen Treatment Centers and yourself and your clinicians treat fentanyl addictions. So you said you see patients very often. Tell us a little bit about your personal experience working with fentanyl abuse and how to treat it. The ultimate, the eventual goal of uh, taking care of a fentanyl, illicit fentanyl user, is to uh, 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 is to manage the initial opioid withdrawal that is going to come, and it is very fairly intense because fentanyl is a very potent opioid, and uh, perhaps to convert them to another opioids. And uh, earlier on, the first half of the show, I mentioned that fentanyl is what's considered a full agonist opioid. Okay, and uh, uh, the treatment strategy, the management strategy for opioid withdrawal from fentanyl is using another opioid called buprenorphine. And buprenorphine is a partial agonist that does not seem to come 
with as many side effects as uh, for Agnes opioid. So that's the tricky part, Ellen, to convert them onto buprenorphine. Given the long half-life of fentanyl, we cannot manage uh, illicit fentanyl like we do with the uh, pharmaceutical-grade fentanyl. We have to wait. We have to wait a sufficient amount of time uh, before we give the buprenorphine, because what happens is that if we were to give buprenorphine too early, while there's uh, ample amount of illicit fentanyl within their body, we will send them into a full-blown withdrawal. That is, and and that's the key, isn't it? That is absolutely the key. So how, so on average, so what do you do? You test and then you wait and you see, how do you regulate that? How do you know? Uh, the guideline for initiating buprenorphine for someone who's using a long acting opioid, and nowadays we consider fentanyl, street fentanyl, a long acting opioids, uh, is to wait until the symptoms are moderate to severe. And sometimes we use timing. Uh, typically, our experience here at Karen is that for street fentanyl, typically we wait uh, upwards of three days after their last use uh, uh, to be considered ready to initiate buprenorphine. And, um, and uh, other, uh, but there's also another strategy uh, that more and more clinicians in this country are using is uh, we're using a strategy of micro dosing of buprenorphine uh, to initiate buprenorphine a little bit earlier because uh, some people have very low tolerance for discomfort. <laughs> I see. So so instead of waiting too long or doing things too quickly, microdosing is now the answer. Has that been somewhat effective? Yeah, microdosing has uh, we found that is, is fairly effective and we could actually initiate uh, someone's withdrawal management with buprenorphine earlier than if we wait uh, until they're in severe withdrawal. But th this is the uh, uh, this is the advantage of being in a uh, treatment facility like ours for withdrawal management in that in that waiting period, which can be very, very uncomfortable for some people. We do have what we call uh, collectively comfort medications to kind of take the edge off of the withdrawal symptoms while they're waiting uh, for appropriate timing for the buprenorphine. That's very important what you just said, because many of the active addicts that I work with when I recommend treatment centers, and of course, Karen is on the top of my list, they always say the same thing to me. They say, I am worried about the painful detox. So can you address that to make sure to, to get the word out there to people that are thinking of coming in, how Karen manages their pain during the detox to make them more comfortable? Yeah, so the, the opioid withdrawal symptoms, not just fentanyl, but across the board, all opioids, the withdrawal symptoms are are uh, are uh, fairly uh, consistent. Uh, they include perhaps generalized body aches, joint aches, uh, the uh, uh, tactile disturbances, you know, the good old fashioned pins and needles feelings on the skin that feels like a sunburn. Uh, there's anxiety. There's uh, uh, sleeplessness, uh, can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep, and there's the uh, there's a good old restless legs at night uh, that can't seem to go away. 
that keeps people up. Uh, and just the general dysphoric feeling, just that awful, yucky feeling uh, that uh, people experience. And uh, so some people actually have a very high tolerance for that. And some people don't, Ellen. And then some people just can't tolerate even just mild, uh, uncomfortable symptoms. So the the comfort medication I speak of, and you know, one of them is the good old fashioned phenobarbital. In the old days, that's pretty that's pretty much always used phenobarbital buckets of it. And before before buprenorphine became more popular, and there's also you know the the usual NSAIDs, Tylenol. There's nausea medicine. There's uh, cramping medicines. And there's a, a medicine that's used extensively in treatment facilities called clonidine. Okay, it's a blood pressure medicine, uh, but it acts on a little area in our brain called the amygdala or, or the locus ciliarius, and uh, it targets that little tiny area where many of these symptoms uh, are generated and becomes hyperactive. And so our patients typically do fairly well, <laughs> uh, not to say that they have zero withdrawal symptoms on comfort medications, but it certainly takes the edge off that they can wait it out, so to speak. And on average, how long does that detox period take? My experience here, Ellen, is that when we use comfort medications uh, on individuals going through opioid withdrawal, some of them actually feel uh, so well. Uh, that they just they could they could wait they wait it out and sometimes until uh, essentially without need for buprenorphine and uh, and some people are able to use the, the comfort medications uh, for one to two days until the symptoms become so severe that uh, they're they're ready to uh, uh, use the buprenorphine. Okay, so and then that is a discomfort threshold. Right, I understand. I hear it. And, 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 and I, I want to remind the audience sure. also Ellen, that for otherwise uh, healthy individual, those without heart disease, lung disease and such, uh, opioid withdrawal is not fatal. <laughs> it uh, can be very uncomfortable, okay, uh, compared to other substances like alcohol or benzodiazepines. And that's very, very, very important. Okay. Would you repeat what you just said, doctor? For otherwise healthy individual without such things as heart disease, lung disease, uh, opioid withdrawal is not fatal. It can be very uncomfortable. Okay. So as bad as it is, you're going to help them manage the pain, but it's not fatal. And that's really important. So all of you out there that are thinking about doing this, what is the urgency of doing it under medical supervision, doctor? Address that because people think they could do it on their own. What's the dangers of that? Even healthy individuals. And some people are, are successful in stopping for a period of time. Okay. When they go through, you know, cold turkey, right? They just tough it out at home. The problem is this. You and I both agree that addiction is a brain disease. And there's that area of the midbrain, the mesolimbic system that I mentioned earlier. So the, the, the memory of prior rewards and pleasures will always be encoded in that area. It's never going away. Okay, so even if an individual is successful in co-turking at home, at some point in the future, that area of the brain 
uh, will be triggered and become activated if they're not in recovery, in solid recovery, and it will prompt them to uh, want to go back to using fentanyl. You know, the cravings and the urges and the obsession of the mind will lead them back to using again. So the advantage of a uh, of, of proper uh, withdrawal management, detox, and treatment is that uh, the brain part will be addressed. It's, it's, this is about body, mind, and spirit. It's not just about the body. Exactly right. Those are those are always my words. All right. It's not only the detox portion, it's the treatment that you get to sustain your recovery and to understand that you are always susceptible to relapse unless you have the foundation of good treatment and recovery behind you, which is a wonderful thing. So yeah. people have heard of naloxone, Doc. Is that also buprenorphine? Is that another name for it? Uh, no, uh, naloxone is Narcan, the reversal drug. Ah, okay. So naloxone is certainly when you say it's a reversal drug. Tell us exactly what that what that means. I know it can save lives, but uh, it does reverse the poisoning situation, and um, and is something that everybody should have at home. Correct. That's correct. Naloxone has been around for a long time. Uh, it, it is uh, another uh, drug that uh, acts on the mu receptor, the uh, same receptor that opioids uh, attaches themselves to. So what, Nar what Narcan or Naloxone does is that attaches the mu receptors and reverses the uh, negative effects of opioids, such as respiratory depression especially. And uh, that's typically when Narcan is used uh, in the situation of respiratory depression and unresponsiveness because of the opioids effect on the mu receptors. So it reverses the, the negative effect of the opioids. Okay. All right. So let's, let's continue to talk about some of the warning signs and the conversations specifically that we should be having with our children and with our loved ones. Um, I wanted to alert parents um, to what their children are talking about using these particular terms in conversation. And there's a list of them, and I'm going to go through them really quickly. But this can be code, so to speak, for fentanyl. That would be beans, green apples, apples, shade. 80s, 80s, uh, fake oxy, Apache, uh, Goodfellow, uh, Great Bear, He-Man, Jackpot, King Ivory, Murder 8, Tango in Cash, China Girl, Chinatown, Dance Fever, and Greenies. I'm sure there were a million others. But if you've heard any of those things or you see your kids texting any of those things, please be concerned about it. What do parents sometimes tell you, Doc, some examples of what you're seeing about what loved ones are feelings and the questions they're asking? Uh, some of the questions I've heard over the years, Alan, from uh, families and loved ones is that many family members, uh, frankly, are were just not aware of their loved one's drug use. And some are aware of it. Okay. Uh, however, uh, to uh, to encourage their loved one to seek help, 
that's that's another story and uh, uh dependent individuals could sometimes be very very resistant to treatment and uh not not all uh, but some people do seek help uh on their own uh, without encouragement or mandates and uh so my suggestion to those family members out there and friends if you suspect that your loved ones using uh, any illicit substance, and it doesn't have to be just about fentanyl, uh, but if you suspect your loved ones using any type of illicit mood altering substances, uh, then the, a conversation might be warranted. And uh, if that doesn't uh, uh, help things move forward, then perhaps a conversation uh, with uh, uh, your loved one's uh, medical provider or your own medical providers uh, who might have resources that they could share with you. And certainly we get phone calls from uh, family members and, and reference uh, primary care providers, healthcare providers who reach out to us directly wanting, uh, asking questions about how they might be able to refer uh, their patients or their loved ones or their friends uh, to treatment for help. Well, Karen so Treatment Center is knowing where to go for help, right? Knowing where to go to help. Resources like myself, a recovery coach, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, calling 800-889-1757. I will give you a um, a half hour to talk to me, complimentary. Go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, 800-889-1757. I will direct services to you. Of course, Karen Treatment Center is in Wernersville, Pennsylvania. Doc, it's been wonderful having you here. I just want to spend the last 30 seconds, just give a message out there to people who are thinking about this and what they should be doing. And let's let's go out on a hopeful note. So what can you give us in terms of hope today? There's a lot of hope. <laughs> There's a lot of hope and everyone deserves to have a better life. Uh, and a functional, productive life in the recovery. And it's just a matter of, of uh, reaching back out to the hand that reached out to you. And uh, the help is out there, not just care and treatment center, but across the country, there are many, many facilities uh, who are able to uh, provide that foundation of recovery for sustainable abstinence. Sustainable abstinence, and that's what we all pray for on a daily basis. I am so thrilled to have you, Dr. Wang. We know we're going to have you back because you promised that to me before we started this program, so I'm going to hold you to it. Karen Treatment Centers, Warnersville, Pennsylvania, the fentanyl crisis has very helpful warriors in terms of people like Dr. Wang and Karen Treatment Centers. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. See you next time. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. And remember, everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York.